Okay, hi folks and welcome back to another epic fitness guru performance uh, special edition of this uh, podcast. Today I have a, uh, a more local guest for you, which is Joe Agu. Hi Joe. Hi Lauren, thanks for, thanks for having me. No, it's a pleasure. I've, um, I've, I've met you here and there all over the place. I know you, um, you did some lectures for us on the ISSN deployment, which was great. I keep bumping into you at various... Um, conferences and or workshops and seminars and so on which um uh you know if you don't mind my saying you're, you're still a relatively young guy but you've achieved a fair amount in terms of um you know you've got a solid uh, educational background you're currently doing your phd which i'll let you tell us about in a second but also you're constantly working on uh continuing professional development attending workshops and cinema seminars and so on and um um, as a, both as a practitioner, but also now as a uh, as an, an academic, or I, I guess you're becoming a scholarly practitioner, is a term I heard the other day uh, to describe people like yourself. Um, and those are some things I want to talk about. But of course, um, you are going to be speaking at the Epic Fitness Summit um, here yeah. in in May, and I will discuss that in more detail at the end of the podcast. But for folks that don't know um, who you are, could you just tell us a bit more about yourself? Yeah, so I'll start with my um, sort of academic background first and then sort of my career progression. So I did my undergrad in sport and exercise sciences at University of Chester and then followed that up a year later with a, an MSc in, in sports nutrition. Um, between then and then and now, um, I've actually crammed in quite a lot. Um, so I've gained experience within different sports, applied for PhDs in various jobs unsuccessfully. Um, set up my consultancy business from uh, josephagu.com and probably about two years ago I got, I got a job with the BIS and British Athletics as, as the performance nutritionist and started a PhD under, under Professor Christian Cook at, at Bangor University as well so um, I've recently left British Athletics um, so I'll be focusing purely on the, <coughs> the PhD and the, and the business side of things but Hopefully, a, a lecturing position or a part-time lecturing position will come up pretty soon. So it's um, yes, yeah, sort of following the path of sort of Graham Close and, and James Morton in that regard. So a, an academic first, and then <coughs> excuse me, dipping into the dipping into the applied stuff and the consultancy stuff. I think I think that would work well and, and sort of play to my strength. So yeah, that, that's pretty much it in terms of my career path great yeah now we'll, uh, well obviously <coughs> listeners are well used to James Morton and Graham Close and obviously your uh, former colleague at the IS uh, Kevin Curl and, yeah. and so on and uh, I yeah I mean we've we've discussed these sort of concepts of, of, of both having um, applied experience but also gaining a, a, a solid you know, education and, and so on, which of course we were talking about offline, you know, I, I've sort of had an interesting 20 odd years of which I spent half of it not particularly well qualified and I've had to work really hard to get there and and um, uh, in the last, uh, not the last one, but in a recent podcast I did with Martin McDonald, we, you know, we discussed this business of <laughs> unsuccessful job applications, yeah. uh, you know, making mistakes and learning from that stuff, and um, and and uh, again, like you, I, I think you're a little bit like um, Martin McDonald in that you've also done some uh, bodybuilding and that sort of thing, haven't you? I think you've done some um, competitions, no, is that right? I, no, or, or no, just 
got in shape for the you got in shape yeah okay well is that the same thing i i i i think to 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 get in shape and then um um, put on a decent tan and getting your skimpies up on stage is is a vanity thing it's it's that it's that big step though isn't it it's not just the um yeah like you said just put a tan on and stuff but yeah i I couldn't i I don't think i could bring myself to competing i'd never say never but um yeah there's time there's time the great thing about bodybuilding is um I mean that's a that's a, a recreation or a, a sport, which you know even you could even start in your forties and compete, you know, yeah. it, it, or in your fifties even. I mean, I, I think uh, I've even seen competitive bodybuilders who are in their seventies and eighties even. You know, I mean, I'm yeah. not I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to judge uh, on any of that, but I, I think that's awesome, and it, and, it, and it's it's like uh, this growing sport of triathlon, etc. There are more and yeah. more sports and activities that people can undertake and i think from a motivation goal setting you know having a purpose behind one's training and nutrition there is there's a great deal out there that that's on offer which we can talk about um in a minute but quite specifically as i mentioned you're lecturing at the epic fitness summit um in a few months and um you're going to be talking um about um i believe sort of performance nutrition stuff as it relates to um is it sprinters or yeah so it's um it's nutrition for the power athlete but it's uh, more specifically geared around sprinting and the examples that i'll bring up will be um around sprinting so um yeah just without going into too much detail but more of a more of a teaser so i'll discuss how nutrition can first of all impact body composition which is obviously a key component of sprinting performance as it will um, improve power to weight ratio um, then how nutrition can influence training training adaptations so um, talking about nutrient intakes nutrient timing um, specifically regarding protein supplementation and then some key nutritional strategies that can be implemented on race days and the days of competition um, I've delivered a, a couple of these lectures, a shorter versions, um, quite recently, one for uh, Luke Johnson and mm. and his company, um, Shredded by Science, and one was at a, a guest lecture at Bangor University, and both were really well received, it's discussing sort of novel ideas, especially around the competition side of things with regards to priming and stuff like that, and people... Um, it, it isn't something that's popular at the minute and on stuff like Twitter and, and social media. So it's yeah, hopefully people will get will take something from it. It you know it. I mean, it's interesting when people think about that term, sports nutrition or performance nutrition. You, you sort of you, you sort of it sort of brings up these ideas of sort of the the, the sort of the exciting components that we all learn about. You know, whether it's yeah. Stuff that we've covered in previous podcasts, uh, that whole, you know, the, the whole sort of molecular signaling stuff, you know, you get people talking about nutrient timing, whether or not that's relevant, um, you know, the, the, the sort of leucine thresholds. I mean, there's so many sort of exciting things, but it always strikes me, particularly now in where I am, although I've worked a lot with professional rugby players and teams, I'm now... Um, um, the nutritionist to the, to the Great Britain fencing team. Okay. Now, every day, or not every day, because I'm only there one, one day a week, but, but, you know, I'm not, it's not so much the rocket science. It's, it's getting these guys to actually eat a rounded, healthy diet, to remember to bring 
their bottles of water to competitions. <laughs> just just basic stuff. And, you know, of course, we get into all kinds of, of cool things to help them become the most elite athlete they possibly can. But, of course, you know, we all have different ideas of what, what that means. And necessarily being the fastest person or, or whatever is one thing. But when we deal with these people, we forget that they are, of course, human beings first and athletes yeah. second. And... Uh, Kevin Carroll and I talked a lot about that and he did his whole unleashing the power of food thing which was fantastic Um, and of course there are those day-to-day stresses that people have to deal with and just the insane travel schedules like the the fences that I'm working with are constantly (coughs) in different parts of the world and of course you've got influences like sleep deprivation or simple things like not being able to access the kind of foods they're familiar with or or they like. So the role of a performance nutritionist isn't necessarily just about working out how many grams of protein per pound or kilogram of body weight or, you know, those sorts of things. It it can be far more diverse than that. I mean, mean, have you found that yourself? Yeah, it's um, when I first started working in elite sport, I was surprised by how bad most of the athletes' diets are. There's, there's a few that have got everything sort of, sort of nailed. Um, but, it, yeah, it's surprising how they can reach such a high level with such poor nutrition. And like, like as you just alluded to, then it's trying to get those basics right first. And, and if, if you get those basics right day in, day out, um, and consistently, then there probably isn't even that much need for the, the fancier stuff. So if you're getting good quality food and and hitting sort of roundabout those macro targets which mm. are suitable for the athlete then there's not really that much more you can do in a day um, there's stuff like loosening thresholds and stuff which is really interesting to read and, but if they're consuming enough protein and they're eating that over a reasonable number of meals so three to five meals then they're going to be hitting those thresholds anyway and, and stuff like um, nutrient timing and, and yeah, there's a, a recent um, review and meta-analysis actually by, I'm sure you've read it, especially in the JSSN, by Aragon and Helms. And yeah, they, they showed that it was massively blown out of proportion in the 90s and, mm. um, and, and stuff like that. And I think if you, the, the most important thing, and I, I stress this to the athletes, is consistently getting good food across the different meals and um, and make sure you're getting enough protein in each meal and so on. So real simple messages, and that yeah. covers a lot of the, the smaller details as well. So it's no, it does. rather than, it's it's quite easy to, and quite tempting actually, to be fancy and talk about all this stuff, but a lot of athletes just want to know what, what should eat. Um, I know, and, and I know. It's like uh, Greg Close always mentions, uh, <coughs> well, you know, he's obviously not just a, a researcher and a, a lecturer, he's also a practitioner, and his he works a lot in rugby and they're always telling him to shut up geek just tell me what to eat and of course that is <laughs> that just reminds you for as much time as 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 we're trying to re- learn the rocket science that is that is yeah. a language that is for us you know we still have to learn how to translate that information to yeah. to our athletes who don't all have mscs and phds and so on and so forth and that that is an error i see a lot particularly with newer newer sort of graduates and those studying or reading around this stuff it's exciting to us but it's not necessarily yeah. exciting to the people that we work yeah, with. yeah ex- exactly and mm. it's yeah it's about using that evidence to formulate the the simplest the simplest solution and the simplest yeah. advice so, yeah. um and for me it's to 
make sure you can consume good quality food frequently um, and as long as that fits their abouts within their, their recommendations so around the protein and, and, and total calories then sure. everything, everything typically takes care of itself. There might be a few things that need tweaking so if someone's got low iron or um, they need some caffeine prior to races and things like that and, there's, and I'll talk a lot about that on my Epic Fitness Summit um, presentation but a lot of it is just getting the basics right and doing that consistently and that will cover 90, 95 to 99% of what performance nutrition can give the athlete. Absolutely, yeah. yeah actually, you were referring earlier to the um, meta-analyses by uh, <coughs> Aragon, Helms, etc. We, we've actually had them on this podcast together okay. reviewing that stuff and uh, Eric Helms is coming back on actually uh, for a solo show so we'll get into a few things with him and um, I've had Brad Schoenfeld on, on his own as well. And, and, uh, but I, I did a, um, uh, I've had, um, Alan Aragon's been on quite a few times actually, um, but we did an epic fitness one where we did get into this business of the importance of basics. And yeah. uh, that was one of the things I wanted to talk to you and, I'm, and I won't apologize to the listeners for constantly repeating some of these things because it is, it is an important thing um, that you know as we've just been discussing for all the rocket science that we could get into and they've heard a lot of that in this series of podcasts it's, it's that need to master the basics first which so many people don't do and yeah. um, whilst we you know, we could talk about elite sport more but I, I know that one big popular area of course is simply just getting a decent physique looking looking decent in your swimming trunks or in your boxer shorts or whatever for guys that is um or girls of course uh so because you do work quite a bit with people on that basis um you yeah. do a lot of one-to-one stuff and i know you do a lot online and you take a very sort of evidence-based regimented uh approach um to that i mean what what do you, you what do you find you're presented with with new clients the most who who are in that situation where they, they want to look great, potentially even do a physique competition or, or just get shredded or, or whatever. I mean, what, what are the things that you find right away you have to deal with in order to even get them close to that goal? Um, I think probably the biggest challenge is um, like preconceived beliefs and stuff. And mm. As you know, there's a lot of information. If you just type anything into Google, it'll spit out a million results and... Um, so what they currently know is oftentimes they've, they've got little bits right, but a lot of it is sort of pseudoscience and I won't name any names, but um, I'm, sure you, I'm sure you know that that information comes from. And, um, and yeah, that they think it's more complex than it actually is. So when I send them a plan through and, and talk through all the different phases, so macronutrient intakes, nutrient time and supplementation, when they see it like that, they think, is, is, is this it? Is this all in it? I was like, do that. And then you, you, as, as if they trust you and you get that good relationship, they do that and they, they, they're able to focus on the stuff that does actually matter rather than stressing about other things that aren't going to make a difference. Mm. Um, so, yeah, they, they end up getting results, but not only do they get results, they do that in an easy way that's, um, that's easy to adhere to as well. And I think that's the... Yeah, you can have the best diet set up in the world, but unless you can adhere to that, and the easiest way to make someone to adhere to that is make it as simple as possible. Um, well, that's that's my opinion anyway. So, 
So, I mean, do you... Because I think, you know, unlike, say, people who are working specifically with a personal trainer or coach who, you know, they're likely to have more interaction with that person by virtue of the fact that they're training with them. And, and obviously yeah. there's an advantage that, that, that sort of nutritionally orientated trainers might have in that regard. But for us as performance nutritionists particularly, we have to deal with a situation which is we don't see them all of the time. Um, yeah. So it, it, you you made a very good point, and and that is is we're constantly having to deal with sort of clearing out all the garbage, all the stuff yeah. that they've been told, and focus on what truly matters. And I like to take the approach of just <coughs> I, I sort of explain to them that look, whatever you believe, we just need to press the reset button. You know, there, yeah. there are there are there are all kinds of things you could be doing. I'm not saying they're not necessarily going to be beneficial, but they're not all particularly important right now. Yeah. Um, so, in terms of in terms of what's truly what truly matters, what you know, what are what are the common things that truly matter? Um, you feel um, well, most importantly is getting the the calories set appropriately. If mm. if they're under consuming. Um, calories on a daily basis they can can pretty much eat all the protein they want and if depending on the severity of that deficit then they're likely not to gain any muscle if muscle gain is a goal um, at the same time you get a lot of people focus on like you said the one percent is like little testosterone boosters and, and things like that and they couldn't tell you how many grams of protein a day they're eating so it's um, I think if you get calories and protein set accordingly then fit as long as you're not Pushing extremes and the other two macronutrients, I think that covers ninety percent of it. Obviously, it's difficult to put percentages on it, but um, that is the the biggest thing, in my opinion. Once you've got those two factors set, and then you can play around with the the smaller things like nutrient timing, adding some key supplements in, and sure. um, and if, if if they've got all that sorted and they can adhere to that, and they've got it got it consistent, then you you might experiment with some novel approaches like. Like low carb or low glycogen availability on adaptation and stuff like that. If sure. you're dealing with an endurance athlete, or um, perhaps increasing the number of protein feedings to see if that has any different effects. So go yeah. from say three feedings to six feedings, and because um, obviously the, the data isn't there on that, so it's useful to to use clients if if, if they're willing as, as guinea pigs. I know it's um, obviously it's it's not correct science in that the experiment is the observer and, and stuff like that. But mm. um, you know, as I yeah. as I mentioned earlier, Joe, I, I I said this thing about there's you know, there's the rocket science that we get into and of course you've got exciting buzz buzzwords like increases fat oxidation, for example. Yeah. I've discussed this many a time with lots of people and uh, everybody from um, James Morton to Lee Hamilton and, and you know th uh, yes there's, there's all this business of uh, mitochondrial biogenesis you've got influences on things like PGC1 alpha uh, you know th there's all kinds of cool stuff that happens in all that sort of molecular mimicry and uh, you know the thing though is is that that terminology gets a bit confusing doesn't it because whilst we know that that strategy can increase fat oxidation that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to translate to fat loss if they're still yeah. out of energy balance and I'm seeing this a lot I don't know about you but I see this a lot on Twitter where people don't get it and then they'll see oh there's a study that says 
fasted training doesn't help with fat loss. And again, unless you read the paper, you're not understanding in what context all that information actually is. But fundamentally, it is about energy balance. Um, but yeah. what, what, what I find, of course, also is, <coughs> is, is most people fundamentally don't know how much they're eating. Yeah. And yeah, like you said, it's people hear phrases like fat oxidation and to the layperson that sounds quite complex and um, although the, the science behind it is complex, but um, yeah, they think that's going to mean fat loss where, as you pointed out, you can, if you go on a high fat diet and overeat fat and you can actually gain weight whilst oxidizing more fat. So it's relative to um, a, a potentially lower intake of, in, in terms of um, dietary energy. So <clears throat> it's, and actually I wrote a, a blog post, it's the most recent one on the, on the website, um, so fasted versus fed cardio for fat loss. And basically came to the conclusion that it just do what you prefer because the evidence isn't there either way. So, and, and having delved into the evidence as well, there doesn't seem to be a, a strong rationale why fasted cardio could be better. Yes, it can increase fat oxidation relative to fed cardio, um, so exercise in the fed state, but like you said, it, 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 as long as proteins match, it will come down to <clears throat> come down to energy balance. So, if yeah. you burn if you burn more fat during the, the exercise bout, then you'll you probably burn um, more carbohydrate later in the day. So it, it sort of balances out. If if mm. not in that same day, which one of the studies had didn't show, it was the Iwayama paper, which showed that there was greater fat oxidation in twenty four hours. But there was another paper by. I think it was Paolo um, or Paoli or something like that, and and they showed that that corrected itself within 24 hours. But um, yeah, so people are overcomplicating things. So it's but for me, the message is regarding that is do what you prefer. Yeah. Obviously, looking at fasted cardio and in, in, in the sense of training adaptations, you you're getting it's it's a lot more complex and. And, this, and still, I think the science is is mixed on that. Yeah, we've shown greater potential adaptations with fasted cardio, but rarely have those translated to an Im improved performance, despite those increases yeah. in mitochondrial biogenesis and, yeah. um, and, and, and adaptations within the muscle um, like that. So it's um, well, like that's, said, it's Joe. That's why I, <coughs> that's why I constantly mention context because it. Mm. I mean, that just it, you know, they, these are just these are strategies, these are tools. Um, but I think, given that most people are not elite athletes, I think that's fair. That's not going to insult anyone. I'm definitely not an elite athlete. So, you know, if I prefer to go and do a fasted five k in the morning then that's fine. It's got nothing to do with whether it's increasing fat oxidation or whatever. Yeah. I just happen to prefer it that way. And it just so happens that if I ate something before my 5K, <coughs> to do my 5K, I'm going to want to eat after anyway. And there's a good chance that I'll probably, all in all, would have eaten a bit more that day. So if, if I didn't eat before my workout, um, there's a good chance that uh, it's not going to affect my performance or my training adaptations or, or whatever, but it does mean that I might eat one meal less that day, and therefore it might support my goals for fat loss in terms of energy balance. It's just a you know, it's just one of those sort of yeah, thoughts. Um, 
Yeah, and that is a, obviously an indirect way of why fasted cardio could yeah. be beneficial. But if you control for all the variables, then um, completely agree. The evidence yeah. at the minute shows that it's it's not advantageous and could potentially be dis, um, disadvantageous because you potentially compromise training intensity of, of in a fasted state and do yeah. depending on what you're doing, of course. But um, yeah, it comes down a lot to preference. If someone tends to eat more if they, if they eat before and then eat after them, you'd, you'd, look, you'd look at that in terms of the programming. And, but a lot of people, it might be different. So you, you're, working with, you're working with individuals as well, which is, which is important Definitely. to remember. You can, mm. you can use the science to guide you, but it is there just as a, for me, like a, an error correcting mechanism whereby that just makes sure you, you're on the right path in terms of the advice you're giving. But the advice you're giving is very much um, individualized and it, it, it is evidence-based, but you, you, mm. it's, a lot of it's problem-solving. And, yeah. And yeah, well, that's what we are as practitioners, really, aren't we? We're sort of problem-solvers to a certain extent. And, and whenever we, every time we reassess our clients, our athletes, our, our people, we, we're, we're troubleshooting at that point, which is why, yeah. I, I mean, I, I believe it's extremely important to establish sort of baselines in the form of, of testing, you know, whether at yeah. the most basic level you're you're just collecting simple data like height and weight and uh, maybe photographs if you're not physically seeing them, obviously skin folds yeah. like Isaac or whatever, DEXAs, blood tests, there's so many things, but otherwise you've got nothing to compare to and then it's just all about subjective, well, I feel this and my friend tells me I'm fatter and my scale says this, you know, you're you're opening yourself up to some difficulties i mean for, for someone who isn't doesn't have the resources of a performance lab for someone who might be living in a place where they don't necessarily have access to um you know a, 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 someone like yourself who who can do isaac body comps or whatever what 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 are the what are the things that you think allow an individual to establish some baselines for themselves that have some you know, that, that have some sort of solid use in, in that idea of acting as a baseline um, in, a, in a sort um, of a body comp sort of program. Yeah, and in terms of body comp, I think the main one is, is how you look in the mirror. And, and mm. obviously that can be distorted and you tend not to notice change that much in the mirror. But if, if you take photographs in the same location, same light, and, and then compare that, I, I, I don't think there's anything better because that's what people will be seeing and that's the that's basically the end product. You can take skin folds and, yeah, you can say you've come down by five mils on a, a sum of eight, but, um, but to the, to the layperson, what, what does that mean? Is, is that going to make me look leaner or is, is that going to make me much, look much different? But, yeah, so I think photographs is, is the main one and I use those um, with clients, especially ones that are, are, are online and, and remote, so people were, um, living in America and Australia, things like that. And, mm. Um, yeah, but for more local clients, I will use skin folds and girths and, and stuff to support that, um, and obviously body weight as well. As but again, that can that can fluctuate from from day to day, and even even more chronically, that doesn't really tell you where where that weight is coming from. They could be if they're a beginner, especially they could be gaining muscle and and losing fat for a, a good few months. So the scales might not change that much, but in the mirror and, and on photographs they look infinitely better so it's I how think do you joe how do you feel about scales 
generally? Do you, I mean, obviously it's a tool that can be, if used appropriately, it can be okay. But do you see that sometimes um, being a problem for people? Um, I think, yes, um, more so for, for for women. And I'm sure you'd agree just because of um, the menstrual cycle and stuff and how weight can, is known to fluctuate depending on that. So I get a lot of clients emailing me and, and they're stressing because the weight's gone up by say three or four pounds from in a day and it's like think about this logically to to gain that much fat in in that time you're going to have to consume well at least 15,000 calories as well on top of your daily daily amount anyway to to even think about reaching that in terms of fat so um what i i tend to limit weigh-ins once once per week anyway with clients because if, if you're weighing yourself every day it's it's all up and down the place and that tends to it can demotivate some some athletes and um, or some clients and yeah, I, I think it's a useful tool. Like you said, it's a it's a tool in the toolbox that you can use. But and it's one of those one of those aspects that you can you can use to assess progress. But it isn't the, the be and end all, which a lot of people, especially um, yeah, look at Weight Watchers for example. It's mm. the, the the clues in the name there on about weight and um, that's that's all they're tracking. Like you've yeah. lost two pounds in a week. Yeah, that could. I could lose two pounds in the next three hours. I'd just jump in the sauna for for, for a few minutes and, and that, that, there you go. So You got a sauna at your pad, have you, Joe? <laughs> oh no, not not, yeah. not quite not quite that level yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, with the helicopters on the roof, is it? Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, look, this this stuff is all fascinating and I, I do I always like to put an applied component to this stuff because there's plenty of rocket science out there and it's how this stuff influences the people that we work with and then ourselves you know we we try and we try and put that into practice and that's why i was i mean in a recent podcast with martin mcdonald and in uh, with lane norton who's who's done this a few times too we we've talked about that importance of, of doing some of this stuff ourselves um we don't have to be champions you don't have to have actually stood on stage but if you don't if you don't practice at least some of this stuff you know you've got no idea yeah. what it's like for your clients and it's like I, I'm not I'm not myself a fan of intermittent fasting. I'm not I'm not against it either. It's just it's another yeah. it's a strategy. But what I found from experimenting with intermittent fasting just to see what it's like um, was I actually learned to appreciate the symptoms of hunger mm. and that I'm not going to drop dead if I don't eat for a few hours and I don't need to rush into that shop or garage or whatever and go buy a chocolate bar just to deal with that 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 yeah. sort of you know that 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 perception of hunger and and what it drives and 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 that's what i find interesting is is those sort of strategies which it is which is why i think it's important people work with a coach a mentor a nutritionist uh, you establish those baselines you've got goals you've got things to achieve but also it's that it's that framework that allows you to achieve your goals with a with a relative degree of safety, um, whereas if you're out in sort of the wild west of doing this stuff on your own and you're being surrounded by all the, face it, you know, the, sort of the crap that's on Twitter and Facebook yeah. and and so on by people who are or are not truly educated or qualified in what they do is 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 the minefield that these people have to follow and and I mean face it, you know, the the the, the voices 
that includes yourself and various others that are fairly prolific on Facebook and so on, are sort of lost almost amongst all these other people. And, and, and it's uh, fortunately people do, they do recognize that, that there's quality information, um, which is why you'll have the following that you do and people that read your blogs and posts and so on. But I guess, you know, as we come to the end of this podcast here, I mean, do you have any, any uh, sort of any recommendations for people to try and differentiate the, the, the quality of knowledge that's out there and, and, and you know, whether it's Twitter or, or whatnot? Um, yeah, and in fact, that was one of the, the presentations I delivered for you on the, the ISSN Deployment, courses. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so detecting um, the plagues of bro science and, and identifying how people can basically spin lies and, 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 turn, that into a, and turn that into a following. And a lot of it is, is like, I can't remember off the top of my head some of the points, but a lot of it is based around common sense and do they have an agenda, so they, do they have something to sell? Um, do they provide any references for for what they're saying? So any any blog post that I write, any time I make a claim, it's there's a, a link to a, a PubMed PubMed paper, and and you can read up on on the evidence behind that. So people who don't do that, um, I think their information is is questionable. If you can't provide any evidence for that, it's for me, it's it, it's it's not worth. It's not really worth anything, and um, yeah, a few other things as well. So, but yeah, it's relying on stuff like physique and oh, I got shredded this way and, and, and yeah. stuff like that. And anecdote, and, anecdotes are problem. Yeah, isn't it? and yeah. a lot of it is based. Like I wrote another blog post on. Um, it was an April Fool's post, actually, based around BCAAs. Oh, and, I remember um, that one. Yes, and, yes. And, and based around, um, yeah, a, a notorious strength and conditioning coach. And, and basically, I fabricated a load of stuff, and people emailed me saying, oh, I, I never thought about this. And then at the end, there was like a, I picked apart the, the, the piece that I'd wrote and sort of dismissing all the, all the claims and stuff and how you can use argument and sort of false evidence to justify a position and it's mm. it's so it's so easily done it's it is and, it is. and for the for the layperson it's incredibly difficult for them to discern whether the information is, is good or bad but i think looking at someone's qualifications their agenda um if someone's got zero qualifications and they're talking about the intricacies of metabolism and and physiology and and appetite and things like that you've, you've got to really question what they're what they're talking about because I've studied that, but I wouldn't be confident writing um, like a full-length blog post on appetite, for example, because it's a hugely complex topic, which I know relatively little about. So, and yeah. Yeah. people do try to pull the wool over people's eyes, and I, th I think the physique is a, is a is a good one as well. If you look at more of the the successful guys in the industry, they're pumped full of steroids, and they use their physique as a, as a massive marketing tool. And if you look at a lot of the guys talking sense and in the labs and stuff, they aren't well. For one, they haven't got time to to get jacked and um, because their heads and 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 papers and in the lab and stuff like yeah. that. So. Yeah, you know, you definitely. Yeah, I agree. You should. <coughs> you definitely shouldn't judge people and their knowledge on how to get a good physique if they themselves don't have a perfect physique. Of course, if they're yeah. if they're really 
seriously out of shape and they're paparazzi you know with a beer and a fag in their mouth and a burger on them i mean yeah you know that's probably not a good thing (laughs) um yeah you know but i yeah i mean that as we were talking off air you know that was that was actually a motivation behind why i do what i do i spent half my career being misled and and getting you know useless certifications and whatnot and and it was that sort of moment of realization that hang on I, I need to go back and start again which is why I went back and did the education I did this past 10 years and 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 started up um, the ISSN diploma as a as a as a as a way of bringing in the experts the real ones to educate yeah. people and and that led on to this podcast you know whilst I chat away with whoever the guest is such as yourself you know I'm not the expert um, and and I need the listeners to listen to the real experts those are the people you should listen to and like you say you know that they've been dedicating their lives to researching something often for many years and decades they've usually got PhDs etc and yet even they themselves will say I'm not really an expert you know I I, it's going to take 20-30 years before I would consider myself an expert and yet you've got those people on Twitter who don't even have a proper certification, who are claiming to be experts and stuff. And, and um, yeah. that's dangerous because, as you know, the, the average punter often isn't listening to the professor or whatever. The person they're yeah. listening to is, 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 is the other one. Yeah, whoever's got the most followers and, and stuff yeah. like that. And, yeah. and, and, and you see people, like, yeah, with, I'm, I'm sure you can think I'm talking about, but yeah, people with no qualifications who just spend all day on Twitter, tweeting, <laughs> some, sometimes correct information, sometimes yeah. just pure pure yeah. drivel. And, yeah. um, and people retweeting them and sort of saying, oh, I love your work and stuff. And, and it's, I suppose it's quite easy to get a, a big head and, and a lot of them are like got delusions of grandeur and, and stuff, and just purely based on their, their Twitter profile. I think it's, it is. It's, it is. It's ridiculous. It's the it's, world we live in, Joe. It's the world we live in, and of course, we all yeah. we all play a role in that, and we're all you know we're all trying to do our our best here. But hopefully, uh, people are able to differentiate that, and of course, they'll get that from this podcast, for example, and people that read yeah. your blog, for example, are, are, are going to get that. But look, listen, um, we could talk forever, but. We're basically at the end of the podcast now, so um, I know, uh, just to remind folks, you will be speaking at the Epic Fitness Summit, which is taking place here in the UK. Um, It's linked, organised by and linked to the Body Power UK event, Um, and the Epic Fitness Summit specifically will be between the 15th and 17th, and of course that features lots of people uh, that have been on this podcast, uh, including yourself. In fact, you're the last of the epic fitness guests um on this special edition um folks can go to epic-summit.co.uk to find out more about this uh summit um if you want a book uh, which i highly recommend you do you can use the code guru efs as in guru epic fitness summit guru efs to get a discount um if you want to learn more about uh, joe and what he's up to I, i highly recommend reading his blog um um what's your website again joe uh, it's just josephagu.com, all, all one word. So it's um, yeah. You can just Google Joseph Agu. It's pretty easy to find your stuff. Yeah. Uh, you have a very dry sense of humour, which I, I find comes out <laughs> fantastically well in your blog. So um, uh, so uh, that's to be recommended. So folks can learn uh, more about uh, what we're up to at Guru Performance, of course. All the uh, podcasts, both special 
additions for Epic Fitness, plus all my regular podcasts with loads and loads of guests, some of which we've mentioned in this podcast, and of course the ISSN Diploma and uh, also the MSc um, in Sports Nutrition that I run at Middlesex University. You can find out about all that stuff at guruperformance.com. Um, but once again, thanks for your time, Joe. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having me, Lauren. No, my pleasure.